Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show, now known as Ducks Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Scott, along with co-host QB11 or vice versa. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? Well, it could be better after that game, of course, but you know, it's been a couple days now. I'm I'm enjoying the South uh, for the rest of the week, so I'm just doing a lot of drinking and walking and sightseeing and trying to take my mind off of uh, week one and move ahead to week two. But we got to talk about the game, so so here we are. Yeah, yeah, I've been torturing myself. I've been reading Twitter. I've been reading the message boards, and I like I got some stuff to get off my chest, Doug. You want to start there? Or you want to kind of you know talk about the game? You know what we saw, what we what we want to go, or you know which way you want to go? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, it's all in the context of the game. I just like there there's this misconception and this panic about what getting blown out by Georgia means. And like I I think you would agree with me, losing forty nine to three is getting blown out. I mean, we got stomped. Like it was not a particularly competitive match. Um, and like what what that means for this team and we're bad and we're going to win seven games. And like, there's just so much knee jerk, emotional vomit being tossed in every direction on every social media platform or message board. And so much of it is so completely unfounded in any type of reality. Like, uh, like, like a team that's in game one, week one with a brand new head coach installing new systems um, that does have talent. This team is not untalented. But that we were supposed to be able to match up with, like it was, it was probably naive of us, myself included, to think that we could be competitive with them. I mean, like let's just let's just run through some basic numbers really quick. I got some 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 questions for you, Doug. So it, you you can come back and forth with me a little bit on this. So how many how many five stars do you think that we've signed all time, Doug? All time, I'd say less than ten, probably in the seven to eight range. So we've signed 13. We've, okay. We have five on the current roster, although, I mean, obviously guys like uh, Connor Lee aren't quite contributing yet. Georgia has 15 five-stars on their current roster. So that would be as if we got Haloti Nata, Eric Armstead, Kayvon Thibodeau, and DeAnthony Thomas back and added them to this team, and it would still be well short of what Georgia has in terms of advantage of high-end quality talent over what we have. Like Georgia, Georgia has a, a .933 average on their entire roster, right? Like Oregon has 23 players that that breached the .93 uh, threshold on 247's composite. Georgia has 46. Georgia has a higher percentage of players that break .93 than we do that break break .89. So it, it's one of those things where like people have this like idea that good teams don't lose big or they don't get embarrassed or they don't get blown out. Like what, like here, here's three more examples for you. So last year, guess what the score of the Michigan game was with four minutes to go. I don't 30, recall. It was 34 to three. Okay. Now, obviously that was plus 15 players that were drafted a minus a recruiting class for Georgia, but they, they scored a touchdown on their, on their last possession and went for two and, and, and got it to make it 34 to 11. The only difference fundamentally between the performance that a team that finished fourth in F plus that was a playoff semifinalist that went twelve and one and won the Big Ten and Oregon is that we didn't convert on our fourth down opportunity to score a touchdown late in the game. Yeah, by by a fingertip. That's the that's the material difference in the performance between a team in January that's played thirteen games and a team in week one that's played zero games with a staff that's never worked together before and is installing brand new systems for all these players. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on that a little bit, you know, and again, I think you're right. There's some, you know, some probably hindsight like what were we thinking kind of mentality here, but I mean, you could not have put this team, you know, staff and players included in a in probably a worse position for their first game. With Dan Lang's first game as a head coach, right? The entire staff's first game coaching together. Uh, you know, the players first game with this staff and these systems, and you're going to take them all the way across the country to play in the backyard of the defending champs who clearly came out with a mission that I know people are ranking us, you know, third, and they think we're going to fall back because we lost all these guys, but they came out prepared to send a message that they're here to defend their title. And, and uh, you know, like you said, I, I think we were probably... Yeah, I mean we're fans, so we we probably want to put the 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 best possible spin on it. 
you know, we can. And yeah, but it's more than that. There's a disconnect from reality right now in our fan base. Like people are like livid, angry, as if we underperformed our talent level. We we have a sixty percent blue chip ratio. They're at almost eighty percent. They're just a hair below eighty percent. Like we we've talked about the numbers in regards to rankings and five star players and all of that. Like that, we basically played at the same talent disadvantage that Michigan did. In, in that semifinal game last year where they had a 56% blue chip ratio to Georgia's 80. Bama, in 2020, beats Ohio State 52-24 to when Ohio State is third in F-plus with, with only a 3% disadvantage in blue chip ratio. Like, here's the deal, is that people need to understand that in this, in this sport right now, there are two teams that are on a completely different plane to everyone else. Like, like Ohio State on paper looks like they're on the same plane, but it's a completely different animal. They're not on the same plane. Yeah, like, you, got, you got like tier one, God tier with Alabama and Georgia. And then I think there's a decent drop, you know, a medium sized drop off to Ohio State. And then and then there's a pretty large drop to that next set of teams that, I mean, you know, you could put, what, seven or eight teams probably in that third tier, but it's a gulf. It's well, a yeah. gulf. There's a big difference between having good college players and having an NFL farm team where every player who starts is getting drafted at some point. Like every player that starts on Georgia on both sides of the ball will be drafted at the end of their career. Every single one of them. And so you're comparing that to a team where like we've got some guys that we've that have done a good job of developing who are are playing at or near their their ceiling, but they're in some cases they're just physical mismatches. Like there's guys that are just better players. Malachi Starks is a true freshman. After watching the film on that game, he would be our best defensive back. Yeah. Right? So, like, so there's there, there's a lot of unique things here. Like, one last example is, like, LSU ran up ran up a score of 49-14 to 14 against Oklahoma in the semifinal game in one half. Okay? So, Oklahoma and 2019 Ohio State, or sorry, 2020 Ohio State and 2021 Michigan were all really good football teams. And you can be a really good football team and still get your absolute ass blasted by uh, by the type of Kirby Smart Georgia or Nick Saban Alabama teams that are existing right now. And so if you're an Oregon fan, you need to keep that context in mind as you're evaluating a team that's not in January. We haven't had a full season of growing accustomed to our new systems. Like we haven't had a full season of development. We haven't like none of none of this stuff has taken place yet. And so like to to just write this team off to say oh like look at look at Washington beat the crap out of Kent State or look at Oregon State beat the piss out of out of Boise like those yeah, they, are, I watched that game I wouldn't call it that way but but here's the deal like it doesn't matter like go through our next eleven games name give me three players that would like play meaningful snaps for Georgia I challenge anybody to do that how about this if you took if you made an all star team out of the players on all 11 of those teams remaining on our schedule would that team be anywhere near as good as georgia no it wouldn't be close yeah like like i don't think people are are completely like i i understand like they're they're a lot of people are jaded right now because they had these expectations that we should be competitive with them and like you know what like uh, it was my fault as much as anybody else's like but you, you, you get in the offseason, you get excited, you like you see how other teams get beat, but you're like, oh, we're better than them. We can we can we can hang. It was completely unrealistic. Like I, I thought we would score seventeen points. I never thought we would win. Um and frankly, like we were in scoring opportunities to hang seventeen. We just we we turned the ball over and we didn't cap drives. We I mean shit, Oregon oh, sorry, excuse my language, I'm just a little fired up right now, but like Oregon averaged more yards per carry than any team has averaged against Georgia since twenty nineteen. Yeah, I actually saw some positives in the. It sounds crazy when you when you only put up three points, but I actually saw a lot of positives on the offensive side of the ball that I thought would bode well for the rest of the season. And obviously, we're going to see that play out over the next few weeks. But I, I saw some things to be encouraged about. Absolutely, and and here's the deal: we did not execute well. Like there was a lot of things that we need to clean up. We need to do better. Dan Lanning knows that. Um, the whole staff knows that. The whole team knows that. It's obvious to everybody who watched the game. Like we did not play a good game, so I am definitely not making the argument that we played well on Saturday because we didn't. We played like a team that should lose by forty-six points. But the, the 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 point goes to if you aren't playing well, Georgia is going to hang forty-six on you. I don't care if you're Oregon. I don't care if you're Texas. I don't care if you're Michigan. I don't care if you're Ohio State. You are going to get smoked if you play bad against a team with that level of talent that's had 
complete scheme continuity for three years on both sides of the ball and is now in Kirby Smart's sixth full recruiting class. They, they are just they are a fully operational Death Star that is the best football team I've ever seen an Oregon team play, bar none. I'm including the Pete Carroll USC teams. I'm including 2014 Ohio State. Like, it, that, that team is unreal. Like, they've got freaks, like difference maker, like Haloti-Nada type freaks. Like I use that as an example. Like, Jalen Carter is Haloti-Nada quality. Like we've, I don't know that we've ever had a tight end like either Bowers or, I mean, Bowers is like a rich man's Colt Lairola. Like we've never had a player like him, like, like Darnell Washington. Like who, who's our last six, seven, 280 pound tight end that can break tackles, run down the sidelines and hurdle a safety. So it, you just, you have to keep that in mind. Like what were your expectations as a fan? Like what are Doug, your and I's expectations for this team as commentators and fans of the team? And what are those goals, and are they still in front? And they absolutely are. And, like, I think Dan said this great after the game. Like, lose by 40, lose by three, it still only looks – it's only one loss on the schedule. And so how, how do we get better? What are the things that we could take away as positive? What are the negatives that can be improved on over the course of the next four to six weeks is before we get into the real meat of our schedule and the games that are actually meaningful and will determine the outcome of this season? Um, and, and, and how do we get there? Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of that coaching cliche, right? Like, don't let Georgia beat you twice, right? And and hopefully there isn't much risk of that, you know, against Eastern Washington, but you know, which is good that that's games, you know, now instead of the BYU games. So I think the team just has to, like you said, you got to flush it and move on and and put that behind you. You know, like I said, all the same goals are still there. I, you know, I don't know what the player. Obviously, no player is ever going to tell you they expected to lose, right? But but you know, I think as fans, you know, looking at it realistically, you know, we didn't expect to win this game, and and we obviously didn't. Uh, we didn't compete, and so, but you know, all the expectations and goals and and the things that this team can accomplish and wants to accomplish this season are all still on the table. You know, yeah. I make it clear, like by no means am I like, like, give taking away any guilt on behalf of the of Oregon on on Saturday, like there deserves to be harsh criticism for the performance, but within the understanding that you are also playing like prime Darth Vader, yeah, that's like you know what I mean, like you're that's our fully operation, yeah, yeah, like you're playing Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. Right where he's just actually cutting through the rebels like that. That's Darth Vader. So you just got you have to keep that in mind. Like you have to apply context because yeah, if you if you treat us losing like that the same way that you would treat us losing to I don't know some Utah like that like we did last year like we lost in the kind of a similar manner to Utah and I think a part of that psychologically is why Duck fans are reacting and behaving the way that yeah. they are is those Utah games. But like it's fundamentally so different. Like I can't, I cannot express enough how different it is. If you were to look at these teams, how they're built and how they're functioning right now, because they, again, Bama and Georgia are on a completely different plane. Like I, if we would have played Ohio State in in Atlanta on Saturday, I think we would have had a much better out, better outcome. You know, I, I've seen some things like some people like. Silly fan stuff, right? Like fire, like fire Dan, like fire a coach after one game. I even see some former players say some things that I, I would just scratch in my head about going like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's crazy. Before we get into like the specifics of talking about the game, I want to say one more thing. And I don't know that I don't think it's probably any of our listeners that are guilty of this, but if your first reaction after a loss of, of of your team is to go to go to Twitter or go to Instagram or go to Facebook and send nasty messages directly to the player or his parents. Like just just stop. Delete the app. Get take a walk. Get off social media. It's not the place for you. Because that's completely absurd. And there's no place for that anywhere. And and frankly, like you think that you're doing something like today I saw someone going after Noah Sewell and his dad on Twitter. Like what you think that's a good thing? You think you're helping the program by telling him he didn't play well? You think he's not getting coached in that locker room or in those meeting rooms? Like and not only so like let's say it's a physical problem. Like let's say Noah Sewell's bad, which he's absolutely not. Let's say he's a bad player. By by berating him, are you helping us get the, the player that replaces him that's better? Because what if you're the parent of that future player who's better and could and could provide a solution to whatever problem you, you think that there is and you see the kind of BS that you're putting on the timeline or that you're sending to these kids, do you think that like incentivizes these kids to make the decision to come to Oregon? 
Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm an Oregon fan. I've been an Oregon fan for, you know, very, very many decades. And uh, there are days, at least a couple times a week where I'm embarrassed uh, to be an Oregon fan because of other Oregon fans on social media. And it, it's, and I'm sure they're in every fan base, but it, you know, when it's in my fan base, I, I just, it's so frustrating because I just want to, and then you see them tweeting at players. And you see sometimes those tweet, you know, those players responding. And I just, I feel, I feel bad, you know, because I can't control it and I can't stop it. And you just want to like delete the app for those guys, for those players or fans. I'm sorry. Yeah. And like, I don't blame the 20 year old kid for responding. I blame the idiot who's sitting there a couple beers deep after a game and decides to fire it off the tweet or the message or the direct message in the first place. Like just be, be decent human beings. For for everybody's sake, because you're a horrible representation of the fan base and of and and of the program when you behave in that way. And while I don't think that anyone actually cares, it's still just it's just still like there's a certain human decency element to where we can talk about players and their performances and we can be objective, but we don't need to direct hate directly at them, and we don't need to go after their parents, and we don't need to 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 manifest this this idea out there that Oregon has a toxic fan base because it doesn't have to be that way at all. And so I just ask that anybody that listens to this podcast, please don't, don't be that guy or that girl. Yeah, absolutely. You want to get into the game a little bit? Yeah. Heck yeah. Let's actually talk about the game. All right. So maybe we'll start talking about the Oregon defense. Um, Obviously the numbers are brutal. I think the, the yards per play was around 10. Um, you know, Georgia got 100% of available yards and, and seven touchdowns on their first seven possessions. So, um, you know, there's nothing to say about that from a, from a statistical and, and drive performance, you know, standpoint that isn't awful, but maybe, you know, you can get a little bit deeper into things you saw either individually or schematically or, or whatever that, that were a, a part of the problem. And maybe some things that, you know, we could look forward to seeing in the coming weeks that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think Dan said this in the post-game press conference, and he re- reiterated it again today. And again, I've I've finished uh, rewatching the game and kind of looking at the film. We need to get a lot better on the edge, and that, and I'm not specifically speaking just purely about the edge players, although they are guilty of this as anybody. Um, but our linebackers, our safeties, our corners, we've got to do a better job of getting off blocks, leveraging the ball. Um, and putting ourselves in, in in positive situations on the edge to to make plays out or near the line of scrimmage because we we were getting just out leveraged on almost every play and frankly like it, it was there was nothing scheme that could really change about it maybe there's some things that the staff would like to do but it was mostly just lo- like losing on fundamentals and so um, they we I know that Dan said that they really are emphasizing that this week. Um, our edge players need to be more disciplined. We need to do a better job of uh, of setting the edge, setting a strong edge, and and um, and trusting the other guys around you to do their job. Right? Like there was at times in the game, watching the film, where you have guys, two guys in the same gap, or um, like our run fits are are sloppy because one guy is trying to do everything by himself as opposed to just playing his role within the greater uh, function of the defense, which was something we did a lot last year and felt more like reverting to old habits in a big moment than it was something that had been taught in the, in the off season or during fall camp. Um, so ultimately seeing us, seeing guys like Mace Funa and DJ Johnson and Braden Swinson from the actual edge position play with more discipline um, fundamentally and set the edge better, but also see our safeties and corners and linebackers play more decisively so that they can get to the right spot so that they can do their, their part in, in fitting in those, in those edge runs. And, uh, and, and obviously the screens are just an extension of the run game um, to get the edge. Yeah. One thing I noticed, you know, sitting there watching the game and by the way, you know, Mercedes Benz, what an, what an amazing stadium that is. It is an incredible venue, a great place to watch a football game. Um, but going back to the game, I, I was really amazed to see, I mean, Georgia clearly had a plan of attack to, to attack the edges all day. I mean, they barely, they barely even attacked us up the middle in the run game at, at all. And and they didn't need to because you know everything they were doing was working, but they clearly came out with a plan. You know, they screw a ton of, a ton of wide receiver screens. They all worked very successfully. You know, they attacked the edges both in the run game, you know, and like you said, the screen game. And then I, th- I thought the other thing they they really exploited, which was a weakness of Oregon's last year. So you wasn't surprised to see this, but, you know, kind of the middle of the field in the passing game, right? Short middle, medium middle of the field, you know, kind of picking on the, 
on the linebackers and in coverage and uh that worked as well so yeah i mean so like let's i want to i want to take a, a moment to shine like a somewhat positive and there was times where we lost this matchup as well i mean they've got the best offensive line probably in the country um and certainly the best offensive line we're going to see by a pretty wide margin um but i think that our interior guys did a pretty good job of holding up and not getting just absolutely like shot through the saloon door in the run game like players like like jordan riley was like the best version of himself at nebraska last year plus quite a bit like he was actually quite good um taimani was was strong um and especially like for a guy like taimani like george is kind of unique in the way that their offensive line is constructed where there is not a physical trait anywhere on the offensive line that is sacrificed so they are super long even on the interior so for a guy who's Six one at most, maybe six two, to be able to hang in and not not give up ground was was pretty impressive. And I think the whole rotation of guys on the inside played well, um, and so that that deserves a shout because that was something, excuse me, that I was really worried about going into the game. Um, and it, I knew that if that stood out in a positive manner, the way that it did for us, that would be a really really good thing going forward because we don't see anything close to that for the rest of the year. Like, frankly, like I'm not sure that we see a single player at any position along the offensive line, as good as the guys that we saw at all five spots on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I thought there was some it, crazy to say there were some highlights in, in a, in a defensive performance, like I noted earlier, but I agree with you. I thought, thought the interior D line, um, you know, did some things. I thought Chris Gonzalez, Christian Gonzalez, was very solid at corner. I think he gave up a couple of a couple of receptions. One was a touchdown, but he defended that play perfectly. If you watch it, I mean, he was in the right position, perfect position. It was a perfect throw and and a great catch. The receiver did a great job of screening his body. I mean, there wasn't it wasn't anything wrong fundamentally with the coverage there. It was just just a hell of a play by the no game. no. Christian Gonzalez showed out like Christian Gonzalez actually played very well. He gave up, I believe, two catches. There was a slant too in there. Um, and he was in excellent position in both perfect phase, just good ball, good catch, and sometimes that's how it goes as a corner. Um, I would say this too. I wouldn't be so jump quick to jump and just say the, the defense was bad because like while the outcome was bad, it wasn't like all eleven guys were just getting their ass beat every play. Like there was it was pretty consistent that there was one guy making a mental error, one guy making a physical error, just getting beat. And then like a third, like, and then every once in a while it'd be three guys. Right. And so like, we need to go from having nine guys, right. To 11 guys, right. Uh, or nine guys executing to 11 guys executing. Um, because there were times where like everybody did their job and we were making plays defensively. Um, tackling obviously needs to get a lot better. I thought Bennett Williams was like the only bright spot from a tackling perspective. I think Gonzo had a couple nice tackles as well. Um, but there was like I was noticing watching our inside linebackers play that all of those guys were taking a lot of false steps. It, they weren't quite trusting their their responsibilities and their keys. And when you play slow, like you're you're artificially slowing yourself down. It's not about how explosive or athletic you are when you're playing hesitantly. And so I think Dan said this today too is expressing speed on the field as a defense this week is a really important key because we didn't do it last week. We looked slow last week, and we weren't slow because we're physically slow. We don't have slow players. We were slow because we were slow to diagnose, and we weren't trusting it, and we weren't going. Uh, I saw like guys like Noah Sewell and Justin Flo taking a bunch of false steps, things that we know that they don't always do. So having, having guys play within themselves, play within the system, and trust it and, and go and become more comfortable is going to be a really helpful thing for us as we move forward. Yeah, for sure. Anything else you want to say about the defense? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to pick on uh, individual players as much as possible. Uh, I know a lot's been made of Triquez playing the, the boundary corner uh, quite a bit, and I, I understand it. There's There were some times where uh, so there's specifically a third and 11 on the first drive where it's he's, like, he's out there, he's playing man coverage, he starts at five, and then he, before the snap, is bailing to like eight or nine, and then post snap he's at 15 when it's third and 11 right like you gotta you gotta squat at the at the sticks like you cannot just give a free 11 yard curl on third and 11 like that's an easily preventable like make him get to the next read in the progression as a quarterback give your rush an opportunity to get home by 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 covering with some situational awareness and there was some stuff like that i think that like as we move forward 
the competition for cornerback two is going to be a really important one for us to watch. No, that's that's good stuff. Uh, you want to move over to the offense now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the offense in some ways, and and kind of annoyed and frustrated in others. I think there's a few things that are that are important to note. Like when when they are scoring every drive, like they did for the first seven drives, like you're put in a position pretty early on in the game where they're just going to go and they're going to go to a, a too high shell with your too high safeties and keep everything in front because the only way they lose the game in that circumstance is if they start giving up big plays. And so Georgia made the the the, the uh, concerted effort to play Ben but don't break defense, and that's literally Kirby Smart's words from his press conference after the game, um, and to keep everything in front. And they did a really good job of that. And so we didn't have a ton of explosive vertical plays. And frankly, they limited our opportunities at explosive vertical plays. The the one to Coda obviously was one that we would like to all uh, convert on and, and, and capitalize on. Uh, wasn't the best throw in the world. And, and I'm sure Coda would like an opportunity to hold on to that ball next time. Um, and there was yeah, obviously... I mean, he, brought him, he brought him inside so much on that throw. If he hits it, you know, keeps it outside where it needs to be, that that's a completion all, all day. Yeah, and I think that's uh, when I was going through the game, I was trying to kind of keep track of like what were bad decisions and what were bad throws uh, that resulted in incompletions. And I kind of came to three bad, three bad throws and, and two two bad decisions. Uh, the first bad decision was on the first drive. Uh, there was a there was a play on second down early on. I think it was during our, our second set of downs where he tried to. It was Bucky's first drop on like kind of like a little wheel route. Um, it was it was a bad decision. Like we had the mesh in the middle of the field. Um, we we did that orbit motion with Troy Franklin into the backfield to show to show the coverage. No one followed him, so you know it's zone uh, based on the two high safety sh- uh, shell. Like you 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 figure that the corner is probably playing the flat there if they're playing zone coverage. So um, throwing it right into a zone corner in the flat not the best decision when you have a zone beater in the middle of the field with the with the mesh. So uh, that was that was one. The interception obviously. Um, as we were getting into the red zone, which was really unfortunate, just based on the state of the game, we were down 14-0 at the 30-yard line, first and 10. And, yeah. and on that play, if he stays patient and, and plays within the system, he checks down to Bucky, we're probably in first and 10 from like the 18-yard line. So yeah, I don't think the end result of the game changes at all, but that's one that definitely, you know, maybe maybe it's a game that does play play out differently from there on out if you if you go down and score there. No, I don't think it does. I don't think we. I don't think we stop them any different. But it just—that's the type of execution. Those are the type of mistakes that we really need Bo to eliminate going forward. Um, it, and then the first interception, like a little bit underthrown, but frankly, that was just such a great play by the defensive back. I have a hard time holding it against him. Um, and so I, that one is more of a bad decision than a bad throw. I don't. I I don't think it was a bad decision. I I think if you were going to mark it down, it would be a bad throw because it was underthrown in a position where the DB could get to it. Because in that situation, it's like, especially it's not like seven McGee's a jump ball artist, right? So it's if if you miss, you got to miss where nobody else can get to it. Um, and unfortunately, Malachi Starks is a freak, and uh, he was able to get to it and make a good play. And um, it, although it did pin them deep and and make them earn a long drive. So, but yeah, I think that like. Playing within the offense, I thought the scheme was clever. I thought that there was a lot of fun new stuff that we hadn't seen before. Um, I thought we ran the ball very efficiently with with a whole multitude of running backs that I think really we need to figure out a way to pare that rotation down as we move forward. Um, and I understand trying to give guys reps so that you can continue that competition into the fall here. Uh, but I think that five guys is just too many. Yeah, I, that that struck out to me too. I mean, I, we started Bucky, and then I think Cardwell got the next drive, and and then obviously we saw uh, we saw a little bit of Noah and um, James as well. And then it, it seemed clear to me Dollars was the third and long back because every time we were in third and long, Dollars came in, so that seemed to be his his role. But he also got a couple of you know couple of full series after, like if we converted one of those third downs, he stayed on for first and second. But but I did note he he was definitely the third and long. They're in a long back, which uh, you know maybe that's his role, and that's great. But you're right; I, I think you can't you can't rotate five backs. I think he's more than that. Like I, I was really, frankly, I thought that all of the backs did did good things. Um, I, I was really impressed with Dollars, like both as as a receiver, as a runner. I, I thought he was extremely consistent. He's bigger. He he's one of those guys. Like 
he's not he's not the most explosive guy in the world. He's not going to run away from people for an 80-yard touchdown, but he plays within himself. He plays with great balance. He's decisive and he finishes his runs well. So I think like if if I was to pare down the running back rotation today, I don't know who the other two that would go with him are at this point, but I think that Dollars would be the only back that was clearly like a guy worthy of being in a three-man rotation. Yeah, just to be clear, I, I meant I thought his role in that game was clearly the third and long back. Oh yeah, abso- absolutely. I was just extrapolating that out going forward. Um, and I, I, but I, I thought that like I think that all all three of Bucky Cardwell and Whittington had good moments. I thought that. Frankly, I thought that Bucky, or sorry, not Bucky, Noah Whittington had the two best runs of the night, um, and he only had two carries. And so that's kind of the situation when you're in a low snap count game. I know uh, it ends up being like 60-something snaps, but our last drive was 19 plays. So really, prior to the last drive, we were in the 40s. So it, we didn't we didn't have a ton of snaps. Um and Georgia did a really good job of, of being disciplined, staying deep, and not letting us get over the top. I mean, we took a shot to Dante uh, Thornton earlier in the game. Um, we obviously tried to take the shot to um, to Chase Coda, and there was other shot plays called where there just wasn't anything there. Um, one thing that nobody's talking about with Bo that needs to be talked about, and it goes in tandem with the offensive line playing well, but he did a really good job of avoiding sacks. He was decisive and quick with the ball for the most part. He was very accurate when he was on time. Like I don't recall any throws where he was on time, on platform, where he was inaccurate or missed. Um, and he uh, obviously the, the interceptions aren't aren't hits, but they like it's not like he was wildly inaccurate on those throws. Um, but he did a good job of of extending plays, getting out of the pocket, and making some things happen with his legs as well. And I think that the a lot of the calls for Bo to be benched are just like completely preemptive. Um, they, they, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me after playing a game like that. I think we need to see him um, in some in some other action where there where the offense I'm absolutely positive is going to look far more explosive. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think outside the run game, which I thought you know definitely looked looked solid at times, I and mean, Georgia's defense. I mean, yeah, they lost a lot of guys, but they got. They got a bunch of five stars and high four stars, as you mentioned earlier, you know, filling in this year. And those are guys that actually played a lot last year, too. I mean, Georgia rotated guys in a ton last year. So it's not like these guys are getting their first snaps. Um, and I thought the run game acquitted itself pretty well and and should have a lot more opportunities against uh, teams that aren't as good defensively as Georgia coming up. And and I, I, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought there's things to build on. I, I, I don't. I mean, yeah, Bo made a couple bad plays for sure, but I, I this like this idea that like he was just horrendous and should be pulled off the field immediately. I just that's not the game I saw. Uh, no, I I don't think so either. And watching the film, I was like, he's making like all the plays that people forget, like the the throws to Ferguson, the free access throw on the out to Chase Coda, the all of the crossing routes to Coda and Franklin where they're they're catching the ball in stride in a spot where they can get yards after the catch. Yes. I, I, I know we weren't pushing the ball vertically, but these guys weren't having to go down to go down low to catch balls. And like, I don't, I don't know. I thought he was accurate. Um, I, again, I'm sure there's some decisions he would like to have back. I don't think it was a perfect game by any means. And he did miss a couple throws, but for the most part, I, I was actually pretty pleased with the way he distributed the ball. Um, and I think that again, this offense against a defense like that that's playing so deep to keep everything in front is not going to look that explosive. We're going to be a very explosive team this year. Like I, I'm watching that offense against Georgia um, and knowing that we're not executing at, at full go and we're not playing particularly well. And I'm, I'm seeing players like, like Thornton and Franklin and, and the running backs and Ferguson and, and it's like seven didn't really have a lot of great opportunities. Um, but I'm seeing a scheme that's going to give these guys tons of one-on-one matchups and, and opportunities in space to make plays. And against the rest of our schedule, that's going to result in a lot of explosiveness offensively. Yeah, I want to go back to those crossers because that was something I noticed during the game. I made a note of a couple of times was that you know we were throwing throwing those kind of underneath crossing routes for receivers, which which we didn't do a lot over the last couple of seasons, um, and we certainly didn't do it very successfully. I mean, you compare, like you said, those guys were getting hit in stride with the ability to then immediately turn up field and, and get rack uh, or yak or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
And that was something last year, you know, when we did throw those, the throws were often behind or low or, you know, required guys to go out of stride to make the catch even. And then that resulted in no or or much less yards after the catch. So that, that was a huge improvement just to see us, A, you know, doing that a lot more, but also, you know, much more successfully with with the accuracy of the throws. And, and you know, I want to go back again. I, I think the offensive line really deserves a ton of credit against a really strong, you know, defensive front, you know, both in the run game and the pass game. I think they kept Bo pretty clean. I mean, yeah, he he did he did have some plays where he had to escape some pressure, but it wasn't egregious. It wasn't like he was on the run all game long. Um and certainly they opened some holes in the run game as well. So, you know, you know, they didn't win every play. Nobody does, but I thought overall they acquitted themselves very well, and that's going to bode bode well in the next coming games. I don't know how many teams in the last couple of years have have not given up a single sack to Georgia, but I can't imagine it's very many. Um, and so that's a good credit to the offensive line and the quarterback, especially like Forsyth and Bo, because they're the ones calling protections. And one thing to remember, and I know we we run the same system defensively that they do, but like you're seeing a lot of exotic looks and pressures when you play a team like that. And for us to to really do a good job of picking up twists and stunts and, and some of the different simulated pressures and things that they bring to the table. Like that's something that we haven't always been good as, as a, as an offensive line. And so coach Clem um, in terms of setting the rules and, and getting those guys prepped for this week, I thought that it was a, they did a very, very good job. And um, obviously Jalen Carter is going to win reps against everybody in the country. And he yeah. won a couple, he, he won a couple yeah, and he won a couple of reps pretty handily against us as well. But I thought we did a pretty good job of handling him for the most part. Um, and again, the uh, resistance bands get a lot lighter as we move forward into the season from the, from here. Yeah, you know that's a good point. I mean, I think last year, you know, looking back at the offensive line in the last couple of years and how often just a simple twist, you know, would throw them for a loop, right? And guys would be coming free, and the pressures that were given up against Georgia were generally not a missed assignment, right? It wasn't like a guy was on the wrong call and, and the guy, a free rusher just came through. It was, it was usually a, a, you know, a good play. A guy just got beat, right? And that happened. So I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought the tight end rotation, I, unfortunately with the TV copy of the game, you don't have a great angle of, of what's going on downfield. So hard to comment on how much separation we were or weren't getting, um, but I also know that they've got a lot of really good players in that secondary. I mean, Malachi Starks, obviously. Chris Smith, I mean, that play he made tackling Bucky um, in the backfield on a, on an outside run to the left. I can't remember what point in the game that was, but he shot from about 14 yards downfield and just absolutely annihilated that play. And, like, there's not very many safeties in college football that have that type of explosive athleticism to make that play. So... Uh, again, I think that there's a lot of plays that were seven or eight yard gains in this game that are going to be 14 to 18 yard gains in future games, plus more. I mean, I, we got to do a better job of breaking tackles and tackling, and, and that's really what separated us from them uh, among a, a lot of things. But they, they tackled extremely well in space, and we didn't. Any other thoughts on the game? No, I um, actually thought, like, operationally like we didn't have a lot of penalties we um didn't like we had the one play where uh a freshman kind of made a made a freshman mistake on a play that was jordan james and ran into seven mcgee um but other than that like operationally it was really clean um i'm sure there was some broken coverages again all that kind of stuff i can't really see on the uh, tv copy of the game but we didn't weren't wasting timeouts in bad situations, stupid situations. Our special teams were executing at a high level. I actually liked the quarterback pooch kick um, from Bo. Like there was there was a lot of stuff like that that um, was positive, and I think a, ahead of where we might have been in other seasons from an operational standpoint. We really early on we struggled with the tempo a little bit, getting aligned defensively, but for the most part we got aligned pretty well against tempo. And uh, like there there are there are positives to build off of going forward. This is not like a lost season by any stretch of the imagination. I actually think that with a new coach and new systems, the growth curve of this team is going to be quite fun to watch here over the next six weeks, because we're going to be a completely different team in mid October than we are in the first week of September. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I thought special teams wise, I, I, I can't remember which guy was the punter, but I, I thought he punted well, uh, you know, there was no returns, but plenty it was, of high, it, you know, it sorry, was, bills. Was, it? It was yeah, bills. It was bills. Okay, yeah. 
you know, I don't think he punted for a huge average, but you know, I'd rather if you get it 40 yards, 40, you know, something in that range and, and there's no return, I think that's where you want to be. But I think he punted it directionally where they were looking for. I'll, I'll be interested to see what Lord thinks about that. But um kickoffs, we actually had a number of touchbacks, which is is good. And and obviously we hit the one field goal. So um, you know, special teams. What you know, hopefully we'll see a little bit better, uh a little bit better return game. I thought, you know. We didn't return the ball well on kickoffs, but again, we're going against a team with with incredible talent on their special teams unit. So we'll see how that plays out, you know, the rest of the season as well. Yeah, yeah, that's all stuff that I think will. It's going to be pretty. Talk about a drastic difference going from playing that team to playing a, a big sky team this coming Saturday. I I expect us to be ready to rock and roll, and I think we're going to execute at a much higher level. Yeah, yeah, I certainly would hope so. I, you know, th- I think the schedule sets up pretty good for Oregon now to kind of, like you said, get a lot of growth over the next few weeks. Kind of see what we have. We got Eastern Washington at home, then BYU at home, and then Stanford at home. Uh, to and then we go to, uh, then we go to to Washington State. So, um, you know, BYU is obviously the probably the best team in there, but and they blew out USF this past weekend. But USF is not a good football team, so I think we're going to learn a lot more about BYU. When they play Baylor this weekend, so that's a one to keep an eye on if you're a Duck fan, just kind of get a sense of our next opponent. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I've seen the line actually move to favor BYU. I put, I don't bet on Oregon very often. I put money on Oregon today. Um, I, I just, I think a lot of people are writing us off right now after that performance, completely ignoring the context that I presented earlier in the podcast. That's We're, fine we're going to be a pretty damn good football team guys. And like, maybe that turns out to be wrong and I will gladly take the egg on my face. If we do uh, just not get it turned around and not get any better, but it's pretty, there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive signs with this team, even caked into a 46 point loss. It's just, you gotta, you gotta look a little deeper and, and you have to understand that um, all getting, getting 11 guys to all execute on the same play doesn't happen all at once. So. Yeah, that's the that's the tr- struggle too with week one, right? You got you got five teams in the country, six teams in the country, like Oregon, like Georgia, you know, that are playing really, really high quality competition in week one, and everybody else is playing, you know, F FCS teams or lower level G five teams, and you're seeing these blowouts, and and so I think because of that, you see a lot of a lot of like overreactions in both directions, right? Like, Oh my God, USC is going to be amazing or, or, um, you know, Oregon's terrible or, you know, some of the other things we're seeing about some of the teams that, you know, on the scoreboard looked like they just put it to somebody, but then you got to look at the competition, right? You got to grade on a curve here. Yeah. And I think that's where you set your expectations this week. It's like, we, we should look like that this week. Yeah. We, we should correct a lot of our problems and we should look like a dominant football team against a team that's not in the same stratosphere of us in talent. Anything left to talk about before we mercifully put an end to this discussion of this game for good? No, I think we covered it all. All right. Well, let's go around the country a little bit with some of the other games. There was a lot of good football this weekend. And uh, unfortunately, being on the road, I didn't get to see as much of it as I would if I was at home. But I did catch bits and pieces here and there of some some really good football teams, some that football games, some that were played before the Oregon-Georgia game and, and certainly many that have been played since. So. I got uh, probably 10 or 12 games queued up here. I thought maybe I'll just get your quick thoughts on on each of them. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I, some of them I'll just mention the scores because they're probably not worth discussing. Alabama rolled up you know, Utah State 55-zip, so Alabama's Alabama. No shock there. Yeah, no, that was, that was murder. And as we learned, getting murdered by those teams is pretty easy to have happen, so. Yeah, let's go to one that was a little bit better and maybe a little bit surprising. Um, you know, Ohio State hosting uh, Notre Dame, and and that game turned out to be a lot closer, especially through the first half, than most people thought. Ohio State won twenty-one to ten, and what was really quite a defensive battle. It was a one-score game for for quite some time before Ohio State kind of put a couple touchdowns on the board in the second half and won and won by eleven. But um, you know, thoughts on on either one of those teams or that game in general? Yeah, I, I expected. Ohio State to win and cover, so I was wrong. Uh, and I think for some of the reasons that Oregon struggled to have explosive plays through the air against Georgia, just the structure of Notre Dame's defense on Saturday night made it made it difficult for Ohio State to press the ball vertically. And at, at, because of that, they they really leaned on the run game in the second half to get the win. I mean, it's it's an eleven point win against a pretty good Notre Dame team. 
Um, Notre Dame is just entirely incompetent offensively. And so uh, I, I don't know how much of an indicator for Ohio State that they're like a really good defensive team, but they certainly look better than they did a year ago. Yeah, I think you've got to be, you know, probably fairly encouraged if, if you're Ohio State, because um, I think if that's the kind of defensive performance, you know, again, like you said, Notre Dame's not necessarily an explosive offense, but I think you you don't hold Notre Dame to 10 points unless you've got some semblance of defense going on there as well. So, and they held them to, you know, 2.5 yards per rush. So that's a, that's a pretty good number for a team that Oregon just took took to the woodshed on the ground and so did a bunch of other teams last year. So I think their offense is going to come around. Um, and, and if you compare it with, with the defense that, that plays at that level, then, man, they're going to be right there in the thick of things when it comes down to it. Yeah, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think that we're quite a bit better on the offensive line, though, than, than, than Notre Dame. I don't, I don't really buy that this Notre Dame offensive line is the Notre Dame offensive line of years past. Um, so we'll we'll see how it all ends up looking in the long term, but I have a feeling that this Notre Dame team's got more than a couple losses on its schedule. Um, just they offensively, I don't I don't really trust Tyler Buckner all that much. Uh, but I, we'll see how it all plays out. It's still really really early, week one. Yeah, I think we both picked them to uh, to beat USC in in the last game of the season. I don't know, maybe we'll have to rethink that when when the season plays on a little bit. Well, that that game is going to be like. What happens when a movable object meets a resistible force? Um, because you have you have a team that's really good offensively and horrible defensively going against a team that's really good defensively and horrible offensively. <laughs> well, it'll be fun to watch, I guess. It's a game that that just wrapped up tonight, actually, as we record this on Monday night. Um, you know, number four Clemson uh, rolled up Georgia Tech forty-one to ten. Um, so you know, is Clemson back? Are they back from their dip? Uh, their one-year dip, or is this a uh, fool's gold? Uh, I think that they're a 12-win defense and probably about a 4-8 and eight offense. Wow. Like, I, I just really, I, I think they're going to have to make a quarterback change at some point. DJ is just, he's just not particularly consistent, and, and I think that's going to be a limiting factor for a team that's got a defense that's good enough to make some serious noise in a playoff. Makes sense. Um, all right, let's go to a game. It was an early game, I think, on Thursday. Uh, did not disappoint Pitt and West Virginia played a heck of a game. Uh, what do they call it? They have a nickname for that. The Backyard Brawl. The Backyard Brawl, yeah. Uh, played a heck of a game. Uh, Pittsburgh came out on top, 38-31. Uh, you see anything in either one of these teams that are going to be worth uh, watching this season? Um, I think Pitt's pretty solid. I just thought it was funny because – Pat Narduzzi has been talking trash about Mark Whipple, who was the offensive coordinator that went to Nebraska for throwing the ball too much last year. And you could tell that he was back in his uh, natural habitat. Like they were playing tons of 23 personnel with fullbacks and like just playing the most mind numbingly boring brand of offense possible. Um, and, and and it got them 1.9 yards per carry on 39 carries. Yeah, exactly. And they've, they've got a pretty solid running back and, they they've got good lines, but I just uh, I'm not a big Keaton Slovis fan. I think that they're like at, from the ACC teams I watched. I think that they might be like the the worst quarterback team um, in the Coastal Division. May, I mean Georgia Tech might be worse, but they're the only one. Yeah, speaking of the Coastal, uh, the game I'm not going to talk about, but but uh, Mario Cristobal got his first win down on Miami. I think he put up 70 on Bethune Cookman. Yeah, they looked pretty good. Like they've they've got like he inherited some pretty good talent, and then obviously did a good job in the transfer portal and kind of finishing out that last class. I mean, he hired a really good staff. I expect him to be super successful there. So um, I think we won't really know a ton about Miami for 2022 until week three. Uh, but they 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 looked like a team that I don't know. They did what they're supposed to do against a team they're a lot better than. Yeah. Uh, another ACC team, NC State, uh, held on to win by one against East Carolina, twenty-one to twenty. Yeah, NC State is another team. Like, I hope you have the Iowa game in here because I have some things to say about that. But um, NC State is another team that just doesn't want to play like good offense. They want to play board, like they want to make the game as difficult as possible for themselves. Um, and they have good enough players to do it against a team like East East Carolina. Uh, I just 
I don't have a lot of faith in them to win 10 games again after watching that. Like they just they just make it so hard on themselves offensively and while they're very good defensively, I think that there's too many good quarterbacks in that league to to play that style of offense. Well, you brought it up. Let's talk about Iowa against uh South Dakota State Jackrabbits. A 7-3 so, win with no touchdown scored. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. So uh, I think that Dan Rubenstein on the solid verbal on Sunday said it best where it's like Iowa is treating the safety like the gentleman's touchdown. Like it's the, it's the higher class way of scoring points, but like, yeah, this is what nepotism gets you. Like Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa, Iowa head coach has been dead set on having his son be his offensive coordinator and running like antiquated is probably not a harsh enough term for what they're doing offensively. And they they deserve to not score, and they deserve to lose a ton of games for running for 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 being that poor offensively. I mean, they're going to win nine games or ten games with arguably the worst power five offense in college football. So I, I don't know. It's they they are impossible to watch. Yeah, I I've always found Iowa to be impossible to watch, but it certainly seems like uh, this year uh, maybe maybe worse than normal. I mean, both quarterbacks were eight for sixteen in the first half. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there was a total of uh, less than two hundred yards passing combined between the two teams. I mean, the only worst passing performance. And you're playing was... South Dakota State. <laughs> like, it's not like you're playing a Power Five defense here. The only worst passing performance was Adrian Martinez for Kansas State throwing for fifty yards. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how that happens either. Uh, let's jump back to a game that again it was a couple days ago. Uh, we talked about this one on our preview show. You know, Cincinnati and Arkansas, and the game lived up for the billing. It was a really good game. Uh, you know, Arkansas pulled it out thirty-one twenty-four over Cincinnati, but you know, uh, probably putting an end to Cincinnati's hopes of re- uh, making the playoffs uh, for a second year in a row. But Arkansas, uh, you know, won that game, but not not easily. No, not at all. Um... I will say this, Arkansas, the score didn't indicate how much control Arkansas had in that game in the first half, um, but Cincinnati put themselves in the second half in a position to win, and uh, K.J. Jefferson got a little nicked up. I think that contributed, um, but uh, ultimately, like, it just kind of proves that Luke Fickle's a really, really good coach, and that yeah. team that team was ready to go, um, and so it's... Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be the Cincinnati of the last two years, but they're, they're definitely a formidable opponent. Uh, and I, we'll see how Arkansas plays when they get into the SEC schedule. Um, I, I think they're going to be pretty good. So, Yeah, I agreed. Um, another game in the Big Ten, uh, Penn State coming back uh, to win a game I don't think they deserve to win, uh, 35-31 over Purdue. Well, that game was funny because Sean Clifford gets hurt and he misses a series. Goes into the locker room and Drew out Drew Alar or Drew Aller, not sure how that's pronounced, but comes in and it's like, hey, he's really good. And then the next drive, Sean Clifford comes back and the offense can't do anything anymore. Like like he had one completion in the second half until the last drive, and really that game winning drive was all screen passes. I think there was one pass beyond the line of scrimmage and it was on a rollout to a running back. So um, it was. I'm just I'm not a Sean Clifford guy. Like he he's been there for six years, five years as a starter. He's been unbelievably below average for all five years as a starter. They deserve to lose until they start playing Drew Aller because Drew Aller has some pretty insane talent. I got one more game to talk about before we get into Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 play, and that of course is LSU and Florida State and and the ending. Uh, Maybe the ending of the year, and it's only week one, but uh, just what a crazy way to finish that game. Yeah, that was an insane, an insane game. I Florida State was like clearly the better team the entire game. Yes, like Jaden Daniels is the same Jaden Daniels he's been. Um, I was really impressed with Jordan Travis. Like, talk about a guy who's like just consistently gotten better, and I think that this speaks to the development that he got with uh, Dillingham and is also getting with Norvell, but like, he's a legitimately pretty good quarterback now. Like he was an athlete at first last year. He was more of a quarterback. Now he's a, he's a quarterback. He made a lot of really good throws against tight coverage. Um, Florida state. I mean, Jared verse, the edge rusher for them is a monster. Um, 
the transfer from Albany or Buffalo, one of those schools, uh, just basically unblockable. But yeah, I thought that that really, really was an impressive showing for Florida State. I think that's a win that they needed, um, and it was it was good to see Micah Pittman and and those guys do well and Trey Benson. Yeah, yeah, I, I like I was like watching uh, the former Oregon players and where they transfer to, and I, I generally root for them to to do well, and it was good to see them both both perform and and yeah what a what a crazy ending of the game ended of course on the missed pat as time expired um after a 99 yard one minute drive to potentially score the tying field goal which all of that had happened after a two or three fumbles in a row to even give lsu a chance to to stay in that game so wacky ending um good win for florida state um and the brian kelly era in louisiana starts with an l any other non-Pac-12 games you want to talk about? I thought the Illinois-Indiana game was a really fun one as well, same night as the uh, back, backyard brawl. Um, another really good end, close ending. A game that Illinois, frankly, should have won, but they kind of fumbled the last opportunity. So, uh, Let's touch on, so Pac-12 uh, went 9-3 and three this week, which on the surface sounds good, but when your top two teams uh, both lost na- the two nationally relevant games, uh, that, you know, that kind of puts a damper on the rest of the, uh, the rest of the record. And then of course, Colorado, um, who might, according to you, won't win a single game the rest of the year. And you might be right. Uh, of course, with the other third loss, um, we'll start with the Beavers. Actually, let's start with Rice USC. Not much to talk about here. USC rolled up 66 points, three touchdowns on interception returns. Um, and Rice is just a terrible football team. Yeah. And Rice actually moved the ball at times pretty well. Um, when they weren't throwing pick sixes. So we'll see. I'm I'm still pretty skeptical about that USC defense. The offense did what you'd expect an offense with that much talent to do. Uh, I watched a little bit of that game. Travis Dye as a uh, pass blocker is one of the most fun things to watch in college football. I always will love that kid for that. Just absolutely killer rib shots um, to to edge players that are engaged with the tackle, like just destroying them, crumbling them. So uh, always will appreciate his toughness and and his, his willingness as a blocker. Yeah, you got to love Travis Dye. And I, that was one of the things I, it, it was so, you know, interesting in his time here at Oregon, right? Like he's, you know, the smallest back on the team by far, but was always the best, uh, the best pass blocker. Regardless. I think he might be the best pass blocker of any back we've had in my lifetime. I'd, I would have to go back and watch some of the guys from the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s again, but like for sure in recent history, like, Pound for pound, he is one tough son of a gun. Don't know if I'll be wishing him too well down in USC, but uh, certainly not wishing him any ill either. So we'll keep an eye on him the rest of the year. Uh, Arizona. Arizona, big win uh, over San Diego State. Uh, really pretty dominating. 38-20 to 20 win over the Aztecs. And that's a great way for Arizona to start. And I think that that money, that big money you've got on the Arizona over two and a half wins uh, seems like free money at this point. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how odds makers had a Braxton Burmeister quarterback team as a favorite um, against Arizona, but uh, I'm th- I'd like to thank them for the free cash paid for all my, uh, all my fantasy football entry fees. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really impressive performance. Jaden Delora, uh, is it Jacob Cowing, the receiver, the transfer from UTEP was basically unstoppable. Uh, best player on the field. Uh, McMillan, T-Mac, gosh, wish we would have won that recruiting battle. looks fantastic. Um, They look a lot more competent on the offensive line and on the defensive line. Uh, Really, that game was more of a blowout than it appears. There was a turnover, I believe, on a muff punt that was converted into points by San Diego State that they frankly didn't deserve. Um, This was a a pretty dominant showing, and I think that Arizona is going to be a pretty dangerous team this year. I totally agree, and that's a, a game that Oregon plays. Uh, you know, shortly after that Washington State game, and one we talked about a few weeks ago on our preview show is that could be a could be a trap game for Oregon on the road, and and certainly Arizona's off to a great start. Uh, let's talk about our friends uh, up north. The Washington Huskies uh, beat Kent State at home, forty-five to twenty. I thought that Washington played really well. They did what they were supposed to do. I think that uh, it was it was a good game for Michael Penix. Came out, he was really efficient through the air. 
did a good job of distributing the balls the the ball to all their their playmakers at receiver. Guys like Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze had really strong games. Um, I I don't think that we know a whole lot more about them than we did three days ago. Uh, so we'll see what it looks like when they when they face more resistance. It's a pretty bad Kent State team, but uh, all in all, I think it's hard to not be excited if you're a Husky fan with that performance, uh, especially because Michael P- Penix looked like the uh, the most efficient version of himself. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought their offense obviously was was much better than they had been last year, but we all knew that you they had to be. Um, and yeah, I, I think defensively hard to tell much, you know, playing Kent state. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see what the injury is with Jordan Perriman. Cause that's a really important player for them at corner. Uh, they were playing a converted safety, Julius Irvin at corner late in that game. Um, if Perriman's out for any extended period of time, that could spell trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's move over to Boise State and Oregon State. I think you picked Oregon State to win. I had the Broncos, so you got me on this one. Yeah, so I thought the turnovers were really the story of this game. You know, eight total in the game, three by the Beavers, five by the Broncos, four in the first half, and and allowed the Beavers to jump out to a, a 24-0 lead when I thought, you know, Boise State had moved the ball, um, you know, at times, but just couldn't get out of their own way. And then, you know, the second half, you know, they, they made a run at it, but it was just too far of a hole to dig out of. And, and the Beavers, you know, their defense did some nice things in this game outside of the turnovers. I thought their defense, you know, looked like a much improved unit over, over previous years. Yeah. I think if you're an Oregon state fan, this is kind of the outcome you were looking for. I, I obviously turnovers um, aided in the margin of victory, but defensively they looked as competent as, as they've looked at any point under Jonathan Smith. Uh, Chance Nolan was fairly efficient and the run game was good. And so uh, I think that Boise State front's actually pretty good. So for them to be as efficient on the ground as they were is is probably a pretty good sign for them uh, moving forward into the season. I'm excited to see what they look like on the road at Fresno this week. Yeah, definitely. I think that just leaves the Utah-Florida game. And, man, what a game this was. I, I watched this whole game and, uh, you know, really – Really a lot to take away for both teams here. I thought Billy Napier's debut at Florida, he has that team clearly heading in the right direction. Anthony Richardson is an unbelievable football player, uh, you know, a multi, multi-purpose quarterback. And, um, you know, Utah had the game there there to win or or at least to tie and, and you know, just threw that pick in the end zone at the end of the game and came up short. But uh, this was a heck of a game. Yeah, I don't like to throw comparisons around lightly, but Anthony Richardson has some very Vince Young qualities. Like he is massive and he is very, very, very fast. Like he was he was pretty clearly the best player on the field for either team. Um and if if he can continue to build on that, he's gonna be a problem for everybody. Uh but yeah, I think that it was it was a good competitive game. I think frankly, like we've we've had a lot of conversations about what that matchup could look like throughout the offseason. It went kind of how we expected. Like Florida leaned on the run game, um, Utah also leaned on their run game, and it was a battle of strengths. And uh, ultimately, it came down to which quarterback made less mistakes and more plays. And uh, I would say that Anthony Richardson outplayed Cam Rising in this game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, that that uh, that play Richardson made, where he kind of went back and then did a spin move, and there was another guy there, and he spun out of a second one, and then threw. I can't remember if it was a two point conversion or a touchdown, but it was it was just like wow. There's not too many quarterbacks in football who could have made that play. And and I, I, you know, watching Utah get that ball for that last drive, you know, and you're like, okay, there's plenty of time. Time's not an issue. And, of course, they only need a field goal. You know, they get they get into field goal range pretty easily. And then it's almost like one of those situations where because they got so close to the goal line, they probably got a little bit more aggressive to play for the win than they would have if they were, you know, maybe on the 20 or something, they might've just played for, for the tie and overtime and, and that aggressiveness, you know, cost them, you know, with the, with the pick to end the game. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, uh, I, I thought it was a fitting end of the game. I actually think that Florida was the better team. I know that um, it was a really closely contested game and Utah was in a position to possibly win, but I was, I was just really impressed with, with just kind of the Florida looked like a team that was well coached and and for that to be the case in week one, installing all new systems 
It says a lot about Billy Napier and the staff that he's assembled down there. Um, I'm I'm going to be a little bit of a closet Florida fan moving forward. I think they're they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I was at the Georgia game, obviously, with Oregon, and and there was a Georgia fan sitting near me, and we were talking before the game, and and this game came up, and and of course I said, well, I'm I'm going to be rooting for the Gators tonight, and he he wasn't my friend then the rest of the day. But uh, he says, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Georgia and whoever's playing Florida. But I said, well, I can't. Sorry, I can't root for Utah. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I got that little little victory at the end of the night, I suppose. But it was just a heck of a football game. And, and I think, yeah, I think Florida is just a fun team to watch. I like I think they're going to they're going to be really interesting to watch this year in the, in the SEC East to see where they land. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, it's going to be fun. All right, I think we have touched on everything we need to touch on for this episode. We uh, will be back on Friday. I, I mean, do we, we want to do an Eastern Washington preview. Um, I'm sure you haven't done a lot of prep on them. I wouldn't ask you to, but I do think we can talk about playoff expansion, which obviously is something that the CFP announced. We can get into that, um, maybe the ramifications of that on other things as well in our at our next episode and maybe just talk a little bit about what the ducks need to do coming home against Eastern Washington, maybe focus more on the ducks and less on, less on the Eagles. I think that's what you do. Uh, that's what we should do on, on Friday. And I think we, it'll be maybe a shorter episode with a little bit less to go over, but uh, I, I think that there's plenty of stuff that we can focus in on for Oregon. Definitely. All right, QB. We'll see you in a couple of days and uh, take care. Thank you.